Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Trojavosti. It is a Friday, July 1st, and I'm sure you're going to go out this weekend and see a couple of movies in the theaters. That said, the three movies that I'm spotlighting for this Flick City installment are in theaters, but more importantly, if you want to stay at home and watch something on demand or on digital, each of these movies have those digital on-demand options and yeah it'll be a great way maybe each of these movies are very very different and some of you may love it some of you may absolutely hate some of the movies that i'm offering up for this installment so just these are three interviews i'm doing each of them will be with directors and i also have an actress as well in this in this flick city installment now yeah where do i start okay the, the movies that i'm covering this installment is press play hot seat and Rubicon. Okay, Press Play is the one biasly. I'm going to give you mini reviews as well before these interviews, so you guys have an, an inkling on whether to actually listen to these interviews or even pay attention, and maybe this might be a movie for you to watch or maybe a movie that you can skip altogether, and maybe if you're not a huge cinephile or want to learn about the directing process, you can skip these interviews, these certain interviews together, okay? Or, yeah. I'm, I'm rambling. But first off, for me, on a resonant level, emotionally connecting to, I, I'm starting off with, with press play because I really love this movie as of this moment, as of this recording. It has a 58% critic rating, critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience rating, though, however, is 71%. And it centers on this girl, girl named Clara Rugard, who actually has the ability to travel back in time via a mixtape she has with her with from her um, former lover, from her former for, former soulmate, played by Lewis Pullman. Lewis Pullman is the son of Bill Pullman, of actor Bill Pullman, by the way. The, the couple met in Hawaii, and unfortunately, due to a tragic circumstance, she Clara Rugard's character is now alone. But not not really so much because this mixtape can take her back to certain moments when she was with him, and instead of spending time with him in really lovely moments and just reliving these events with him. She actually tries to change the course of events, and hopefully he won't die in the new world, right? So she's trying to change the course, the events in time, going back in time to save her loved one. Now, it is a mixtape, which is the time travel portal, right? And her time in the past is only as long as a certain song in the actual tape. So that makes the the whole dynamic really interesting. Also starring in this movie is Lyric uh, Okano, who I previously interviewed on a separate feed here on the previous Flick City. Some of you might have heard it. And also Danny Glover, who's really good in a really a, a supporting role. He plays the owner of a record record CD store that Lewis Pullman's character works at. Now, I interviewed the director, Greg Bjorkman, and props to him for actually bringing a ca- um, not a camera, for bringing a microphone to the Zoom interview. A very Maybe a couple of filmmakers and actors have done that. So maybe one or two percent of people do that. And I just really love it when people bring their own audio equipment. Actually, his, his microphone was even way better than mine. So props to him for doing that. Also, if you are interested in romantic dramas, romantic relationships set in Hawaii with a time travel element with some really cool songs as well, which I referenced to in the interview, Press Play should be for you. Okay, and Clara Rugard, I think, is going to be a really big star. You might have seen her previously opposite Hilary Swank in I Am Mother, which is currently on Netflix. She's fantastic there, and she's really fantastic here as well. She really anchors the film. We'd love to hear what you think of Press Play, especially if these kind of genre elements appeal to you. This movie should really appeal to you. Also, there will be an, there's always an upscale to these interviews, I think. When I interviewed Greg Bjorkman, you'll be able, I got to really feel how much he was really connected to this movie. And maybe after listening to this interview, before you watch the movie, that might be a really cool thing because you will be able to see press play in a little bit through his eyes as well. It'll give you a more personal approach to watching the movie. Even if you don't do that, it's still a very, it has a day's dreamscape daydream kind of element to it which i really love coupled with the music and the performances by rugard and pullman really really good stuff so again 58 percent, i feel is just really too low on rotten tomatoes the 71 percent audience rating for me is a lot more realistic and yeah it's not getting a hundred million dollar advertising blitz out there this is one of those movies that you'll be able to catch and hopefully through word of mouth and i again it's 
it's really, really, it's a special film. I really enjoyed Press Play. Okay, so that'll be the first interview. The second interview will be with, okay, with, with James Cullen Bresick. And now this is very interesting. He's a director behind Hot Seat. He previously, his last film, I believe, was last year in the Bruce Willis, Shannon Doherty film, Fortress, which I, by the way, I watched about 10 minutes into, and for some reason, I was into Fortress. I, that screener link expired. I wasn't able to interview him last year, but now I'm going to interview, and I was able to interview him for Hot Seat. Hot Seat currently, as of this recording, has a Rotten Tomatoes critic, critics rating of 0%. Now, take that rating for what you will. Right now, there are no audience ratings because it is a Friday morning and people haven't probably downloaded it on demand or watched it to give their input on whether this, this movie works for them or not. For me, I, I liked it for a couple of reasons. Kevin Dillon, who I've always really appreciated as a Gen Xer, and, and he's not, he's not just Johnny Drama from, from Entourage. By the time Entourage rolled around, I was already appreciative of his work and wanted to see him in more stuff. I'm glad he's the lead in Hot Seat. He plays an IT expert who is ultimately terrorized by some shady figure in this, in this building he works for. And, what happens is Kevin Dillon's character, he is sitting on a little hot seat. If he gets out of, if he gets up from the seat, the seat will explode and it will cause obviously havoc, kill people in the building, et cetera, et cetera. And so what he has to do is he has to follow the bidding of this mysterious figure and pretty much corrupt. I, I'm not an IT guy, but he has to really, his goal is to really corrupt all this tech, technological um, infrastructure around the neighborhood and just, you know, just, just to get into different networks and whatnot. He's a, he's basically an IT expert, but a very, very good hacker. Okay. And he has a past himself. Now, again, like I, I said, Shannon Doherty from Fortress is in here as well. And also the main star in this one is Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's in this as a demolitions expert who tries to come to save the day and make sure everything's okay by the end of this movie. So I had a good I had a good time watching Hot Seat, which again has a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's just really tough. Let's see, this movie also stars Sam Asghari, runs 104 minutes, rated R from Lionsgate in theaters on digital and on demand. I really enjoyed speaking, talking to James Cullen Bresek. He's just, he, I believe he recently turned 30 and he has a ton of movie credits in his work. I have a complete bias and fondness for filmmakers who really, with a lot of, with sort of a lack of funds, are able to just really put their nose to the grindstone and keep churning out, and I mean churning out in a negative way, churning out entertaining movies or diverting movies for a select audience. For me, Hot Seat are people who really enjoy these type of films. First of all, these type of films are a certain genre. You'll have someone like a, a Bruce Willis. Well, not Bruce Willis anymore, but so Bruce Willis. Now, in this case, you have Mel Gibson or a John Cusack. Sometimes you'll have, um, I'm trying to think of different names. Um, who is, who was Into the Wild? I'm blanking on the guy who, from Into the Wild, but there's, there's a lot of A-list actors you'll see in these movies. And a lot of people will say these these movies aren't B movies, they're actually C movies because that's C level story and everything like that. But I just, for some reason, I just have a good time watching just actors I love in these genre driven genre driven films that are in in many ways. Oh yeah, Emil Hirsch. I've seen Emil Hirsch in a bunch of these movies. They're not critic proof because the critics are going to do something like give it give these type of movies zero percent. But for people like me and hopefully some people like you out there who are listening. You'll have a good time. You'll want to see some of these actors. I like seeing, do I believe Shannon Doherty is going to lead a task force to help save Kevin Dillon's character? Well, you know, I look right now, I'm looking on IMDb. It has 3.5 out of 10. Maybe Shannon Doherty isn't Kate Blanchett. I might, I might, I might believe Kate Blanchett more, but I love seeing Shannon Doherty work. She plays this character named Chief Pam Connolly. And just really love to see these people just go at it. There's a woman I've never heard before. She's one of the people who are stuck in this kind of situation where the bomb's going to go off. Kate Katzman, don't know who she is. Never knew who she is. Thought she was good in the movie. And also Eddie Steeples. Eddie Steeples plays the partner of Mel Gibson's demolitions expert dude in in Hot Seat. And you see them playing chess at the beginning of the movie, towards the beginning of the movie. And they have a really nice chemistry together. And watching Mel Gibson 
I'll watch him in anything. So I am a biased fan of Mel Gibson. I'm sure some of you have seen Force of Nature. I I like I really like Force of Nature, and yeah, and I, I love Fat Man. I'm looking. At, I love Last Looks. So look, I'm I'm loving this. I'm a, I really enjoyed Hot Seat for what it was. It, it was a, a diverting time for me. And James Cullen Bresick, if listeners, you are into filmmaking or directing or getting your f- foot in the door, you just listen to the interview. It, it's a really, it's like, it, basically, he's a film geek. He talks about his love for Takashi Miike, that filmmaker Takashi Miike, and his approach to directing. And he admits that he is still learning on the job. So he's not one of these things who's going to blow, blow smoke regarding whether his films are masterworks or not. This is a guy who's on a directing journey. And a lot of filmmakers are like from the 40s and 50s. They were studio directors who would churn out some some product for the studio. And a lot of times their vision would would come out. You know, my favorite, one of my all-time favorites is filmmaker Joseph B. Lewis. He would create films for a certain budget, but he couldn't help but finding his own aesthetic or his own stamp behind the movie. Joseph B. Lewis's movie's best known work is the film noir Gun Crazy and The Big Combo, but he's done a lot of really interesting stuff. For me, I feel like James Cullen Bresick, he's working with so many different people. He was previously, yeah, he previously did a whole bunch of horror films, which I haven't seen. So I don't have a real good gauge on the quality of his whole resume, but I'm interested to seeing how his vision has evolved or changed over the years. I mean, I'm looking right now. My goodness, he's been working in shorts since 2004. You did a lot of shorts, and then maybe there's movies called To Jennifer White Crack Bastard from 2013, Pernicious, The Condo, Deadly Reunion. I'm, I'm going to end up watching all of these. Beyond the Law, most recently Survive the Game, Fortress Hot Seat. So yes, it, if some of you are like me who love these genre-driven films, which maybe most critics will give 0% or 10% in, Hot Seat would be a movie for you to give a shot, especially if you have any kind of skin in the game or some kind of emotional investment in Kevin Dillon, Mel Gibson, Shannon Doherty, and the like. So that is my second interview. That's with James Cullen Bresick. Last but not least, definitely not least, is this sci-fi film Rubicon. Rubicon, it is directed by Lenny, I believe her name is Lenny Lorish, Lenny, L-E-N-I, Lenny, no, Lenny Lorish, yeah. And she's an Austrian filmmaker and she yeah, the movie Rubicon is a sci-fi film. If you look at the trailer for Rubicon, you think it's really action-based and it looks really interesting. It is interesting in a certain way, but and I'm going to I'm going to say this is the one big and barrier to entry regarding this movie. Also, in this interview is Julia Franz Richter. She is the main character in Rubicon. She plays a soldier who boards this space station to with her own kind of mission and it says here on imdb after a catastrophe on earth the planet is covered in a toxic fog the space station crew must decide whether to risk their lives to get home and search for earth's remaining survivors on the space station specific specifically there is algae that is keeping the inhabitants of the space station alive but they're wondering whether amidst this whole post-apocalyptic future, I believe it's set in 2056, do they go to Earth and help the survivors who may already be doomed to an, a fate where they're not going to help them? Or, and by doing so, do, do they think it's going to be a fool's errand? And will that algae, by giving them the algae, would that lead to the, their lack of survival? Or maybe it's better if they just stay and create their own, I guess, their own version of humankind in the space station. So it's it brings up a lot of really interesting themes on whether it's like, do you keep your family intact or do, or do you go out and help the world at the risk of your very own survival? So I really love the the issues that Rubicon faces. and But ultimately, this movie plays like a stage play, which I'm completely cool with. I love these stage play type films. And on top of that, the upscale for Rubicon is it's set within this vast universe of space. So while this play is going out, you, is, is uh, unfolding before your eyes regarding the discussion about whether or not they should go to Earth with this algae, you'll get some really interesting shots of the landscape, which is the station, the gravity visual compositions, and 
with with a limited budget. So the director, Lenny Lorich, she does a really good job. And I'd like to see what would happen if she had a bigger budget as well to work with. So and Julia Franz Richter as the lead in Rubicon is very effective as well. And I loved where the ending of the film really goes to. Um, yeah. So also for our cinematics Patreon, I forgot to mention at the top of the, uh, at the top of the intro, I have, I discussed with Greg Bjorkman the ending of press play. There are several alternate endings that he talks about. So if you end up watching press play, the, you definitely want to listen to his take on the ending. I'll have the video of that on for our cinematics Patreon subscribers. And it's a very interesting take on the alternate stuff on press play as well. Press play Rubicon and press play Rubicon and hot seat. Why am I forgetting hot seat? All these three movies you can actually, I'm, I'm going to look them up on Amazon. If you can order them for rent or purchase on Amazon. And obviously me and Anderson and Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, all of us podcasters will get a slight cut if you watch it. So my recommendation is if you really want a, a hidden gem with just romantic undertones and it also, it's really an interesting look at grief as well. And yeah, press play. Press play is, is my, my personal recommendation for you guys to check out. But also Rubicon has its merits too as a, as a look at philosophy. Okay. So that's also recommend. Hot seat for me is a niche recommend for people who like that kind of that train of thought. I will scoop up these movies. Eric Holmes always mentions these type of movies that he really enjoys as three star bangers, right? So meaning this movie, movies like this could probably get three stars or there might be underappreciated by a big segment of the population. But if you are in this lane, I, I think you might appreciate Hot Seat. And even if you don't like it, you might appreciate certain aspects of this film as well. Anyways, check out these interviews. They are separated by a little tone and also the trailers for these movies. So you'll get a little bit of a flavor of the audio as well. And also just remember, if you are a member of our, our Patreon, you'll get, you'll get these episodes commercial free. And we also do an extra episode every month. Me and my, my buddy Anderson Cowan. Thank you guys so much. And I apologize for the very, very long intro. Take care guys. And thanks for supporting me and Anderson on this year's cinematics. Take care. Bye. Have a great July 4th weekend with you and yours. Bye. Why do you like records so much? You have this tangible thing right there in front of you. I love that. I have something for you. You are now recording the very first song on our mixtape. You're gonna think I'm crazy. No, no, I won't. What? Um, what? I'm from the future. Like, like, hoverboard future? I'm not kidding. You're gonna die. I don't really know how to say this without sounding crazy, but, um, I can travel through time. How is this even possible? I don't know, but every time I play a song on the mixtape, it takes me back in time to the moment we first heard it together. Laura? Oh! How am I here? What are you talking about? What, what, what? People say that music transcends space and time, but I've always thought it was just a metaphor. I don't know how much time we have left. We have a chance to save you. We have to be careful. I'll just change the things that happen on the day that I die. The universe has a plan. You can't deviate from that plan. Maybe you're not meant to save it. Most people only get one shot being with the person they love. You've been given to. I can't just sit here with a second chance and just let him die. Wait, wait a minute. I have to try. You really think it's the only way? Nothing else has worked. As long as you're alive, I'll be okay. See the future. Maybe far and few between, but there were a lot of Michaels. There were a lot of Matts. <laughs> not not as many Gregs. How many times in your life, Greg, have you been called Craig? Uh, one too many. <laughs> one too many. <laughs> Is it a C and an R to spell Greg? <laughs> so, it's like, oh, you. no. Two G's, yes, to start and finish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, I really enjoyed press play. Uh, first off, I really loved the atmosphere and the tone of the film. When I'm watching it, it felt like a Thank you. sort of yeah, no worries. I, I I felt like it was felt like a a little a little bit of a daydream. 
Ness-esque kind of feeling. Can you just talk about creating that tone? And was that one of your intent with just creating that sort of atmospheric daydream quality to a, you know, pretty much a serious subject matter in, in many ways, too? It is a very serious subject matter. Um, I think when I was when we were writing this and when I had envisioned what I thought the movie was going to be in my mind, um, there is that kind of, uh, you know, magic realism uh, that that movies have to them. And, you know, in a specific, you know, uh, I mean, in most actually in most movies, you have to, you know, suspend belief uh, a little bit uh, to understand the story. And, you know, this is an ideal scenario. You know, this is, this is one of those, you know, wish fulfillment films where you can, you know, change things uh, that you could, you know, otherwise not. And, you know, being able to be in, you know, Hawaii is kind of a, a dreamy space to begin with. So it was kind of like maybe the, 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 the elements all came together and it turned into like a dreamscape sort of, uh, but maybe it wasn't, it wasn't my intention for it to be, you know, I, th- I think the suspension of, of, of disbelief, um, you know, you always want your audience to kind of get invested in the movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a happy accident. Yeah. Speaking of being invested in your, in your film, I, I just, after I am mother, I just thought Claire Rugard is going to be a huge star and, you working so close with her, do you see that in her? And was that one of the many elements why she was perfect to anchor your film? Absolutely. I think uh, when I first met her, uh, after seeing I Am Mother, first of all, when I saw I Am Mother, she uh, like she blew me away. Like I was like, this is this she she has what it takes to lead a huge movie huge like mine's small in comparison in comparison to what she can do and when i met with her you know i could sense her sensibilities and you know what she hoped for who she was as a person and then her acting was almost secondary because she's such a she's such a warm individual that it, it felt like when i met with her you know there's something special here like there is, she's going to be somebody. She she's going to be a, a very big star, uh, and probably very soon. She's she's incredible. Yeah, I, I absolutely sense that when I met her. Yeah, I you know press play. You're going to draw people in. People will watch the movie because they they they're going to think, oh well, this is pretty cool. It's a love story set within the confines of physical media and mixtapes and you can time travel. It's a really interesting thing. But in many ways, it's it's really not a time travel movie. It's mo- really a movie about, it's a deeper film where, where you're trying to, how does one overcome grief or how does one really process uh, someone's loss? And in many ways, when someone passes, don't ever think they're, they're going to be gone. Uh, and I, th- I thought that was a really uh, great part of your, was that your initial intent regard? It feels like a personal kind of story for you. It is, um, you know, the, the, the intent was to create something that, uh, you know, th- th- basically to relate to the audience, like trying to make a story that, um, you know, is very true to emotions that I've felt in my life. Um, you know, it's, it's grief is one of those very interesting emotions, um, because it's, it's misunderstood, um, you know, a lot, everyone everyone in their life, we all are going to experience it. It's a universal emotion, just like happiness, just like sadness. Um, but grief is, grief is very unique, you know, cause you feel alone when you're grieving. Um, it's, 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 I, you know, this is a poor example, but I feel like, you know, how we have curated all of our, you know, friends lists, and, uh, you know, that, that to me is a very unique thing. Cause if I look at, you know, your followers on Instagram or your, your, your feed on Instagram, I'm going to see something that's uniquely you. Um, and like when we, when we lose someone or we, or we, uh, an expectation is lost, you know, we, we go through quite a bit of, you know, unique emotions that, you know, no one else can experience except for you because you, that person meant something to you. And, you know, it's uniquely, it's a unique experience. Um, 
And it's really hard to let go of expectations of something or someone always being there. Because yeah. you know, the one thing in life that's that's absolutely true is, you know, we're all gonna we're all gonna pass at, at one point. You know, we're 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 gonna deal with that. Um, you know, it's it's a universal emotion. And I thought that it was a very unique emotion to try to explore. Um, and obviously it was it was a very powerful one. I'm glad you're on a on a lighter note. I'm glad you guys got Japanese breakfast that, that they could uh, be part of it. But I'm gonna just swerve on. Yeah, great, great choice, by the way. But I'm just gonna kind of swerve there and say sure. one of the things that really hit me about your film was your uses of, of among the living by the thorns made me really re, re, just nostalgic, and I want them back. And can you just talk about <laughs> that choice? And then just a newer song, I guess, within the last couple of years of, of Days Done. I mean, I think these are great choices for to just to really anchor your your story. Thank you. Um, you know, I can give credit to where credit's due here because Patrick's the one who introduced me to the thorns. Uh, so he, he was the one who was like, we should, we should try this. And I was like, yeah, that works. I like this a lot. Um, and then for others, like, uh, for instance, uh, day is done by Robin Kester. That one, you know, when I heard that song, it was originally on Reddit uh, that I, that I came across. It was on the, like R listen to this or something like that. And I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, who, where, like this is, it hasn't been released anywhere. Like this is just a, this is just a YouTube or a band camp link. And so I messaged the, or I, I think I either posted a comment or sent a a DM to the person who posted it and asked, you know, who, does anyone have the contact info to, to this artist? Like I, I need, I, I, I want to ask her a question. And one of her students uh, replied, I think, to that comment and said that she used to, they used to be a student. And, you know, I'll send you a DM. Here's her email address. And I sent an email to her, like a very blocked uh, email with huge, a huge amount of text in it because, uh, you know, I, this, I was hugely passionate about this song. Uh, explained what I was doing. This was like in 2016, probably, or actually even maybe earlier than that uh 2016 though for for sure uh so i sent it to her uh asked her if it would be okay to use it in the script and hopefully the movie and that's one of the songs that stuck all the way through uh because it's a very emotionally powerful song especially at that point in the film a couple final questions uh a couple more questions you mentioned 2016 and getting getting days done i'm assuming or maybe uh, maybe this is inaccurate but does this does the themes of this movie mean more to you now than it did four years ago, because we're talking about grief and maturation and self-sacrificing these kind of, you know, the, the trope is as we get older, we get wiser. So I'm thinking you've been, you've been sitting with this project for so many, for several years, it must be even more powerful to you now or not. I, I think, I think this story is always going to mean something to me. Um, You know, I, I, was gifted the idea uh, a long time ago in like 2011. Um, and I sat with it for a very long time. And it wasn't until I went through a difficult relationship with someone that I truly cared about um, that it, it gave me finally the, the ability to, to write it with James. Um, and so, you know, now that um, that person's uh, no longer, uh, uh, I'm no longer dating them. Um, you know, there is that kind of growth that happens uh, just naturally from like getting a, a third, a third party perspective um, and stepping back from it for a while, you know, being, it, it is going to always mean something to me. It's going to, it's, it, I think that now having been able to reflect on it a little bit more, um, you know, those, those emotions that show through in the movie are, are the emotions that I felt through that, that, that relationship. Um, and, you know, slowly, uh, losing someone's familiarity and, you know, having, having dealt with that and, um, you know, now, uh, reflecting on it, it, it was a very positive thing for me. Uh, cause it's, you know, we're, we are all meant to grow as human beings. Um, you know, if we, if we stop growing and we stop learning, then what's the point? Um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's, it should be a positive, uh, kind of feeling. And I, I do feel very positive from, from, from that experience. Great final um, question. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, fi- final question, Greg, very quickly, right off the top of your head, 
Could you name one of your all-time favorite films, and what is it about this specific movie that still resonates with you as a cinephile? Well, it's interesting because for a long time, it would have been Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because um, it's got such a warm quality to it, and it's got Paul Newman in it. And Paul Newman's one of my 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 heroes who I never got a chance to meet, but you know, the, the stuff that he's done with the world and the stuff that Robert Redford has done with the world has, has all been positive. You know, Newman's own, uh, you know, that, that brand is just, you know, it, it's incredible. Like, you know, you could do so much with this world. You could do negative things. You could do positive things. I think that, you know, filmmaking, filmmaking is one, one part of the world. You know, if you can do more and more positive things with, with, with what you have been gifted with this time that we have, you know, that's, that's, that's the same thing. So I think, you know, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid is, de- is definitely up there. Great. Greg, thank you so much for your time. We really, really loved your film. Thank you so much, Greg. All right. Take care. Thank you, Nicole. Play the board, not me. Patience. Oh, yeller. Checkmate. Hey guys. Yep. We got explosion in the park. Bad day to go to the park, I guess. That's a custom job. I don't think this is the end game. We save you IT. How can I help? My internet has passed away. <laughs> Let's see if we can't bring that back to life. Time is my enemy. Stay seated. What the hell is this? You will die today unless you do exactly as you're told. <laughs> it's military. Pressure sensitive. Two floors up. Bankers, hedge fund crooks. I want you to rob them. Do I have your attention now, Orlando? Or should I call you Red Knight? That was your hacker handle, wasn't it? I've been out of the game a long time now. I want to own the owners. You want their servers? You're crazy. If I get caught, I'm facing 20. (laughs) Time for the confession. My name is Orlando Fryer. I am the person responsible for the bombing in the park and Hudson Towers. You got a family? I want to be the first psycho with kids. I just want to weigh our option before we orphan his baby. It's about to get a whole lot hotter. Why do you care about his family? I don't. Other than a hacker ain't a bomber. Get her eye on the sky up. I'm in position. Time is <laughs> Building wired to blow up. Maybe Orlando's a patsy. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Swat prep for assault. Code red! All hands on deck! What have you done? Who knows how many more could die? Got it! You got a dead man switch ready to blow. No way out. <laughs> Chief, we're picking up another heat signature. Life or death, you hey. choose! Run! Time is my enemy! Time is my enemy! Time is my enemy! You're in the hot seat now. End this now or we'll end it for him. No! Time is running out. Come on, O'Yell. James, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. My first question is, I'm, I'm sure you get this a lot, but your workflow as a filmmaker, how in the world do you do what you do? Because you're you're kind of a throwback to a lot of those old studio filmmakers from back in the day when they'd be under contract and in one one or two years, there'd be five or six other, other films and you can actually get a wealth of just stuff if you're a cinephile. <laughs> how do you do that in today's age? Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a couple fold, you know, during COVID after, you know, when I was sitting at home for like a couple months, um, you know, and, and nothing was going on. And, and I was just like, man, like, this is my time off. I don't need any time off <laughs> when, when this is over. So, you know, like I hit the ground running and, uh, my dad always used to tell me that, um, you know, cause I'm, I'm 30 years old and, and he used to say like, you know, I made my first movie at 18 years old. And he said, you know, no matter what you do at some point in your life, all the movies you make before you're 30, you're going to be known as like your early movies. And so I kind of like took that to heart and was like, okay, you know, let me, let me just kind of practice as much as possible. And like, you know, like almost like as if like, you know, going to like the gym, like you're working out like a muscle. So like, I'm just like practicing and, and, and doing it as much as possible to get more, um, you know, onset experience. And, 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 you know, so uh, that's part of the part of the thing. And then also like, I've just always admired like Takashi Miike, who's like a, he's a, a, a Japanese director who's directed like, I don't know, like 
almost 150 features at this point. He's, he's done so many movies. Um, and <laughs> so for me, I, I just kind of, I love the craft of storytelling and, and I really just really love and enjoy what I do. So it's not work. And when you're not working and you're just having fun, like why wouldn't you want to have fun all the time? You know, <laughs> what, are, what are some of those lessons you learned up to the age of 30 that you brought into Hot Seat? Because in many ways, th- this movie is several stories in one. And I'm sure not just in the edit, but just in the production, just keeping track of all. It's not an A to B kind of thing, which is it's multi-layered. How were you able to – what are some of those lessons you took into this film with that kind well, of storytelling? Yeah. Well, one of the things is like I'm unbelievably OCD. So like if you look at my like uh, my, my my scripts, like I have color-coded notes for every single actor, every single like, you know, uh, department. And, and like I draw overhead maps of all the locations where I like pre-plan all the blocking. Like I do a lot, a lot of prep. Uh, and, you know, I have extensive shot lists for every scene. So like everything is like really, really planned out. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is just like from in the beginning when I was like younger, I would just wing it. You know, when I was like 18, 19, I was just kind of figuring it out as I went. And that just did not work. Um, you know, I like I, I've made jokes a lot, but, you know, I've said stuff like, you know, I just I try to fail better every time I make a movie. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and my first my first movie ever is a complete and utter failure, but which uh, was the one I made at 18 years old. It was my pure joy, but it was a movie that should have been like 80 minutes and it's two and a half hours long. So uh, so I, I definitely learned about pacing that time around uh, and like, you know, how to tighten stuff and and uh, and so and, and keep it moving and and i feel like you know definitely coming into hot seat you know it's it's a how do you make a movie where somebody is pretty much sitting in a room entertaining engaging and fast-paced and that's something that like we we really went in with that mindset and you know i'm i'm, I'm i try to put myself in the perspective of the audience of what they want in a mo- out of a movie like this and and i try to deliver that as much as possible uh, and hopefully it works and hopefully it doesn't. And if not, I'll, I'll learn from it. And if so, I did learn from it. <laughs> what, James, you're, an, you're a veteran filmmaker, but what is the stress balance with a joy in making a film that in another world would be a 50 to a hundred million dollar movie, but you're working with a certain budget. So can you, is there, how do you balance that stress with that? And then also the joy in saying, Hey, you know what? I did this with, with X amount of money and, F you guys, I was able to do it, you know? You know, I mean, I'd say that there's, I would say stress. I would say there is pressure. You know, there's a pressure of like, you know, the, the thing is, is when somebody rents this movie, right? Uh, they're, they're paying the same five ninety nine or four ninety nine, whatever it costs, uh, as, as they would for the, you know, $50 million version of this movie. So there's a pressure for the audience to deliver an engaging movie, no matter what the budget is. I don't get to come in and explain to the audience, Oh, Hey, sorry, I only had X amount of money to make this. You know what I mean? Or uh, X amount of time or whatever. Like I, you know, if I sign up to make a movie, I got to make it what I believe is going to be a good movie, no matter what there are no excuses. And so ultimately, you know, I think there's the pressure there, but like, you know, for me, I've done it so many times that it's just fun. You know, I, I planted and I'm having fun the entire time. I was surrounded by an awesome crew and like a, a unbelievably talented cast. I mean, you know, I had like Kevin Dillon, Mel Gibson, you know, Shannon Doherty, Eddie Steeples, Michael Welch, uh, Lydia Hull, uh, uh, you know, Anna, Anna Har. Uh, I mean, you know, Sam Ashgari. Like I had all these really great and cool people to work with. And so when you're surrounded by awesome people, and you just get to have like a good time. I mean, it, it was just a lot of fun. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, repeat people that I've worked with, like, you know, the DP and I, this was our third movie together. Me and the editor, our third movie. Uh, me and the composer, this was our third movie. Me and Shannon Doherty, this was our sixth movie. Uh, Michael Welch, this was our sec- uh, second or third uh, Eddie, this was our third. Uh, I mean, so uh, Anna Har, this was our sixth. So it's a lot of people that I've worked with a lot. So it's 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 like a family environment. It's like you know we're going in the trenches again together. So for me, I mean, I I just have as much fun as possible, and I try to keep a very light and positive uh, vibe on set at all times. Um, it's kind of my my go to. You know, I I feel like a lot of people when they think of Kevin Dillon, they're thinking of drama johnny drama from entourage but you and i we're we're lifelong cinephiles and we you know i I was looking at your twitter feed and you're saying that 
how you wish one of your, I guess, regrets is you, you wish you were able to work with Ray Liotta. And as soon as you said that, tweeted that, I'm thinking, oh, you know who was great in a Ray Liotta film? Kevin Dillon in No Escape. So, I mean, how awesome is it? You know, how awesome was it for you to work with Kevin? And I do you feel he's underrated because he's had such a great, diverse body of work? And yeah. I'm sure that, yeah, that's a reason why he, he anchors your film. So, I mean, the guy worked with Oliver Stone twice, man. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's an amazing actor. He's not just Johnny drama. The one thing that was really funny is, you know, I was talking to, to Kevin the first time I'm talking to him and like, you know, I nerd out about movies like all the time. And, and so like, you know, I was like, you know, he was thinking like, Oh, I'd like him as Johnny drama or whatever. And I was like super nerded out. I was like, nah, man, you were in the blob. <laughs> I was like, you were in the blob with Shawnee Smith. I was like, you know, that was like, that was my, like my favorite of the, like not even the Oliver Stone stuff, which I mean, mind you, like, obviously those are amazing movies, but for me, like, I was like, man, the blob. <laughs> yeah. That's all. And also, I, is that another great part of your job? You're, you mentioned just uh, proudly mentioned all the people in your cast in, in hot seat is, is that one of the joys that the fact that what, whatever project you are embarking on, you're not going to you're going to have some, you're not going to go with the predictable choices. You're going to go with the ones that you really want in your film. And people like me who are pop culture geeks are going to, I'm going to go, Oh, I'm so glad this actor or actress is, is working and has a plum role in your film, you know? So, you know, you know for me, it's, it's part of some of the most fun stuff I get to do is work with interesting cast. And, and I get excited like a lot, like, you know, uh, on one of my movies, I worked with Dante Basco, who was, who was Rufio and hook. I thought that was super awesome. Like, you know, I, like for me, it's like, I, I, I grew up watching movies. I learned how to make movies from watching movies. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I didn't go to film school. I, I watched movies, you know what I mean? So, so for me, it's like amazing because I'm like, wow, I get to like work with the people that I watched, you know, like I, I get to watch these movies and then I go and I like get to be on set with these people. Like, that's so cool to me. So, I mean, I get unbelievably nerded out and excited about that type of thing. And, and so like, I have like a list of people I really want to work with. Uh, Ray Liotta was sadly the number one person on that list. Um, so, you know, that, that's not going to work out, which, you know, but I did try, I did try many times <laughs> to work with Ray. Um, uh, it just didn't work out for whatever reasons. Um, but you know, I, I definitely, uh, for me, it's just like, wow, like how cool is it to like go to work and you get to work with, you know, your idols. I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of idols, my, my father passed, passed on about five years ago, but so, so you as a filmmaker, you know, you're making that neo-noir film based on your father's screenplay. And I'm sure you learned a lot about regarding your work ethic from your father. And then how much does it mean just for you personally to know this is a project that you're self-financing and you're putting it out there and I'm, I can't wait to check it out. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I'm really excited about that project because you know, it's my dad did it as a play. And so, you know, I, I remember having an argument with him about like, you know, why are you spending all this money on a play in Los Angeles? Like, it's not going to make any money. And he goes, that's not the point. And so I thought like the best way to honor him was to, to make that movie and not really make it with any intention of making money. So in doing that, I, I used my money instead of other people's money. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's not the point, you know? So I, I kind of went really out there. It's a really strange movie that goes through many different genres and and you know it's uh it's a lot of fun i mean it's about two writers that are writing a play that becomes like a neo-noir play but as they're writing it um the characters like come to life in front of them so it's like you know certain things start happening where you know in one scene they decide oh this guy's british and then like later they're like now let's not have him be british anymore and so they like rewrite it so he changes and then the actor starts performing it differently it's it's a lot of fun it's really weird it's really out there um and uh so it's it's something that really uh you know i thought really honored my father's sense of humor and sensibilities and uh, and really for me it was just uh, a really beautiful experience yeah you James, so you didn't go to film school. You learned from watching films, and I'm sure you learned from your, your father's approach to writing and then whatnot in television as well. But is there is there a case to be made if someone's going to watch? Is there such such a thing called a Takashi Takashi Mike film school where you can just watch a whole bunch of films? And because he's a, your number one guy, right? Did you what did you learn from him? And can someone actually save the thousands and thousands of dollars and watch his films, and then vis a vis watch your films as far as learning how to mount a project? 
I mean, you know, you could watch you could watch a ton of different movies, not just uh, not this not this Takashi Miike's. I mean, you know, his movies. I, I just liked him because he changed every genre. Like he just kind of did whatever. Like he made great kids movies. He made great like you know unbelievably gory movies. He made great you know mobster movies. He made like everything you know. Um, but uh, and he still does. Uh, you know, his uh, Thirteen Assassins. I mean, look at he makes like some of these movies are insane. Eat You the Killer, Audition, one of the best horror movies ever made um so you know i uh one missed call um so i mean he's uh uh he, he's just made a lot of really great stuff so uh but for me i just think like you know you can you can kind of do what my dad did with me which is when i was little i would watch movies with my dad and he would pause them and ask me questions and i used to think like you know he was just checking to see if i was paying attention but i realized by the questions he was asking he was seeing if i was able to analyze what was going on and so like he would pause it and ask like you know hey why did the camera move that way or why is that character doing that and stuff and when you start to look at that and you're breaking it down if you start to take that mind and thought process into like a scene and your scene work of like, okay, well, why would the camera move this way? Is that because it's relating to the emotion of the character? Like, why would you place this here? Why do you want to be, you know, framed up in, in a certain way? And you start to think like that, uh, you know, you can start piece, piecing stuff together. Um, you know, but for me, I'm a very, I, I learned from being hands-on. So like, you know, I learned from my mistakes, you know, I learned from making a movie that didn't quite work. And uh, once I watched the movie with like, you know, fresh eyes, I was able to go, well, this didn't work because I didn't do this and this. And then I started to kind of restructure it. So, you know, I think really if, if people want to be filmmakers, they should go out there and, and shoot some stuff, even if it's short film with their friends. And, you know, the more you do stuff, uh, the more you'll learn from it. James, final question, uh, final couple questions or movie questions. First off, right off the top of your head, very difficult question. Can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about the specific film that resonates with you? Okay, so, I mean, I have a top five. I have a top five for this question in no particular order. But it goes Goodfellas, uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, um, uh, Old Boy, and Sin City. Wow. Very, very, very good. Sin City because of just the technology and how it was pretty much groundbreaking in its day? Sin City because that was my favorite comic book, and it's literally shot for shot the comic books. Uh, it's like the most faithful comic book adaptation ever. Um, and, you know, it's literally like they used the comics as a storyboard. So, like, you see the shots directly out of the comics in the movie. And really, I mean, honestly, Mickey Rourke as Marv is probably some of the best superhero casting ever. Um, you know, he literally was that guy. Like it just, it was so perfect. And James, before you go, we, we do a, a segment for our podcast called what's in the box. So we ask filmmakers and actors to pick a movie for, for us to put in the box and then Bruce will take it out randomly and then we'll review it. I usually ask p- favorite movies, but James from you, not just hot seat, but from your resume, what, what film would we, of yours would, should we put in the box and why? <laughs> um, crap. Uh, what kind of movies do you guys like? <laughs> we love horror. I mean, you've done horror. We love all, we love all kinds of kinds of genres. Um, I would say you know either either Pernicious or Bethany if you're going to go horror. Um, those would be fun ones to to have in uh, have in the box. Okay, cool. P- pick one, Pernicious or Beth- Bethany. Um, which one? Um, do you like gorier movies or psychological movies? More? Psychological. Put Bethany in the box. Great. James, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed your film. All right, thank you so much too. Talk to you for the next one, which was what? What in two weeks? So yeah, you know. I'll see you in, uh, a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, James, so much. All right, thank you so much. Right. Bye. When I was young, astronauts were like gods. Well, when you were young, countries existed too. I was there. It's enough. <laughs> you had enough of it. Commander Wagner. Never. Jensen, what's going on? Ruby, to ground control. Ground control, do you read? Does anybody hear us? Anyone? You need to lie down. This fog is toxic. Nobody can survive this. We're safe here. The algae gas exchange works. I can survive. Fought so hard for a planet that doesn't exist anymore. 
they can't be dead. Hello? Well, we don't have much oxygen left. These people need our help. If we could bring your algae down there, we could save 300 lives. Flying down? Are you out of your mind? So what, we do nothing? We just watch them die? Have you gone completely crazy in that lab? You don't get to talk to me about crazy, mister. Either you come with us or you stay. Go away! Come on! Do you really think they would give you their algae if it was the other way around? It's your job to keep us alive. You're a good person. We know that this is right. Well, you're not gonna dodge it! First off, I really enjoyed this film, and um, I just want to know the the creating the visual design for Rubicon. I thought it was very just ambitious. With how how did you just map it out? Was it a lot of storyboards? Was it just maybe a year in just pre production? It just feels very detailed and well planned. Yeah, it really was. Um, as I told like the other interviewers before. You know, we had a very limited budget, so um, every decision had to be really on point. There was no room for mistakes, so and we knew that. So, therefore, me, um, the production designer, Johannes Mücke, and my both cinematographers, we met probably like three times every week for months to, you know flatten out every problem every you know and 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 always improve it and always like um yeah i mean it was also like a very challenging time because like you know from every side there was like i need more i need you know we from the camera side we need more from this and this and you know and it was really very creative very challenging process but it was super yeah it was actually the best time i had because like when whenever when do you ever get you know, to design a spaceship, I mean, uh, like a space station. The one thing we knew we could never build the entire thing because, I mean, and even for, we we came up with the idea where we just build a third of it and then just redress it. But um, even this, this third was too massive for any studio in Austria. So therefore we went into like a um, into big um, company hall, like a storage hall that we had, yeah changed to be become a set now i think they're like doing more productions because they saw like ah this is working pretty well so yeah so we were kind of a little bit of a pioneer project too um also for austria and also for this yeah for this factory hall there because now they're doing their business now with film (laughs) that's amazing julia with you know when when i actually started after watching the movie then i started really analyzing your character how gratifying is it to really see how your character really evolves throughout the story? Was that a big reason why you wanted to take part in this film? Because when you look really close, she goes through so much as far as her own philosophy on life and how she goes about her, her existence. Yeah. And this was, as I said before, I think it was the biggest, um, it was the first thing I, I felt when I read the script that it's such a gift to play such a, a character who's going through such a huge transformation and who has so many challenges in, within such a short time. And um, I felt, yeah, I felt that, that it's not about, that, that it's, there's never the, um, I was never afraid that there are stereotypes coming up because Lini wrote it so, yeah, it was so multi, multi-dimensional. It was never just, okay, and now you're, the, the strong soldier, it was always, there were so many layers and so many, yeah, it was so much zweifeln. Um, <clears throat> Doubt? Doubts? Yeah, the character who has so many doubts, but who has to take the responsibility for their actions at so many, so many points of the film. And it was, yeah, it was such, it was really a gift to play. Yeah, I, this is a sci-fi film, but I think one of the ultimate intimidating things about this story is, just whether it's set in the past, present, or in the future, it's one of the scariest themes for me. It's, do you protect your family and your blood when you know that you can actually help 
the human race. Can you can you guys talk about the theme behind Rubicon? I think it's it's a very very uh, it's a theme that we can that people can really argue about, you know, forever it seems. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I wrote it like that because you know I had a lot of these dis- discussions, you know, with family, with friends in my entire surrounding, especially at the time when it was written. There were so many of these questions asked because like there was a refugee crisis back then. And, um, and also for me as a filmmaker, you know, um, social classes and, um, that, that is, you know, and, and like the, um, the big stretch between the rich and the poor that is getting bigger by the time that is like, were very important themes for me. And I mean, they will still be in the future because that is, you know, what moves me most, I think, and every filmmaker should find their theme. So that is probably mine but um it's also because you know i feel like we all have this on a very daily basis i mean even every time if i go past a beggar and i could help because it wouldn't do much um i mean it wouldn't be that much but it would just help but you don't because you're still closer to yourself and this is like a conflict that i have all the time now as a an an adult now um and you know when you face like what person do i want to be and why am i not the person that i you know want to be and so therefore i thought like okay i want to make this in a very experimental um approach where you can like cross away or like put out the entire society and the world we're living in and just go deep into that subject yeah Speaking of going deep into that subject, Julia, your character with Hannah, she she really feels to have a very deep interior life. And for you, does that mean you built a world for her outside of the script? Or am I overanalyzing it and you just went with what's on the page and just your close collaboration with your actors and Lenny and you just moved forward for that? Which way did you go? I think it was... It was a lot about the um, like the, <clears throat> the the setting which uh, Lini put it in, like the the world in forty years, how it's like more and more damaged, and how this character never get to to decide for her own. She was always um, she never had the money or she never had the safety to do things, so she was she was going to she had to go to this army and. Uh, I think for for me this was the biggest like she had she had family which she cared about which was very important because it's something you want to fight for if you're not with them anymore and she also had this um she also had this history of never getting to decide and always following orders and so this was very important for the story when we started with the movie because with every scene she gets more in a way freedom to decide on what does it make with a human when she um when she she really gets to decide when she yeah she's now facing challenges where there is no no um where there is no Already. yes now she's in space and she has to um define for herself what's right and what's wrong and what yeah what she really wants yeah, I'm so excited. I really enjoy this movie, Lenny. And I'm just wondering for in the future, do you after this after Rubicon, do you want do you want to even do just bigger, just canvas type of you know beautiful, just like hundred million dollar type of movies? Because it seems you can handle it with Rubicon easily, or or do you want to have these kind of serious themes and and an, and an, like very intimate film, or maybe do you want to marry uh, yeah, both of them? I, I, yeah, why would I have to choose? I mean, why decide on each? Um, I think every project that I would approach is always like with an intellectual, you know, under underlying thing. I mean, or like, like an intellectual base. I, I think I can't do anything without that because, like, all all films that I'm watching, and I'm even even you know very. I think you can even have that like in entertainment movies too. I think. Um, I would say like every director has this what has the Anspruch uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anspruch uh, Is it this approach? No. 
Yeah, not enough approach. Yeah, but you know, we all want that. We want we we don't want it to be like just dull entertainment. I don't even think the directors who do that want that. Everybody wants a little bit of a meaning underneath. And in my case, I want a lot of meaning underneath. Um, of course, I mean, I would love to do bigger productions, but let's see what if there's anyone calling me. But um, right now I'm still in Austria and um, working on a new film, but that's a little bit of a big budget, but not that much i mean it's somewhere a little bit above thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed the film thanks so much All right. take care guys Bye. thank you Bye. Bye. Bye.